Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Offsite Podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos Cavallo. And I'm Jason Lancini. Good day, Carlos. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, good. I um, I think last week when we uh, recorded this, I, I turned up with like a one-line joke, if you remember. Yeah. This time I'm turning up with a, a fun fact. Like just before I was, I got a notification on LinkedIn that, that someone commented on something that I posted the other day. And apparently, if you have a, a whiteboard with a permanent marker on it, you can get rid of the permanent marker by drawing over the permanent marker with a like an erasable marker. And you can then erase both the permanent and the erasable marker. I don't know how that works. That makes no sense. But uh, have you tried it? That's, I haven't tried it. So this is total like misinformation, but that's allegedly what a very trustworthy source on LinkedIn says. All the best tips for how to remove pain points from life come out of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, aside from that, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for today's guest. I've only spoken with Agus uh, once before, but to be honest, we had a really engaging conversation. And so pretty excited to dive in further. Yeah, let's uh, let's get stuck straight in. So today we have, as Jason mentioned, a familiar face, someone we know within the space, someone who I am part of a sort of rail tech group, a cohort of sort of companies and organizations trying to drive um, improvements to productivity and safety within construction. He's also the co-founder and CEO of a company called Flix. Hey, Tommy, how are you? Oh, yeah, hi, everyone. It's uh, good to be on the podcast. That's good to have you on. So. Tommy, I, every time we get, get a guest on, I go on their LinkedIn, have a little poke and a pow on some of the details. You started as a furniture designer. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you actually ended up founding Flicks? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess that's a pretty strange uh, place to start. So I originally started as a product and furniture designer. So doing everything from consumer appliances. So like vacuum cleaners, power tools garden product, that kind of thing. And also did, uh, furniture to a, to a degree. Didn't really know what I wanted to do when I started doing, you know, product and furniture design, but, um, I knew it was all to do with, uh, you know, creatively solving problems. And then my career spanned into more R and D management, which was looking at how you could uh, take a completely new concept to industry. So we did wild stuff like, uh, robotics and really early actually on in the electric bike space. So pretty pioneering products from a consumer point of view. And I got really interested in wearables, in connectivity, uh, the IoT space started to, it started evolving at that time. And I'm a keen surfer, snowboarder, mountain biker. So I identified an opportunity where uh, people were putting themselves in hazardous spaces, you know, remote spaces, avalanche prone areas out in the ocean where they were also disconnected. So originally just as a hobby project, built a connected wearable that you could sew into a wetsuit or put in your ski jacket where you could stay connected with other people in those remote spaces, but also called for help if you needed to, or, uh, notify someone if you went into an unsafe area. So that's where it initially started. We did some work with Red Bull, with Sunto, with Casio, G-Shock, um, and some other energy brands and built this product to monitor surfers that were in the biggest waves, Nazare in Portugal, but really. And um, over time, I started to identify the opportunity to understanding how that technology could be deployed in industrial settings. And um, Virgin startup actually 
partnered us up with a tier one contractor and said, look, you know, this technology could be really powerful in construction. And from there, really, we didn't look back. That was sort of 2018, I suppose, two years into developing the product and, you know, right from a hobby sort of business into something that we thought, oh, wow, this could be, could be really useful. Um, and yes, I suppose since 2018, we haven't looked back and we've been focused exclusively on construction and how we can benefit exactly the same use case, really, you know, can remotely, uh, disconnected people in hazardous spaces with others that can help them, um, whether that be management or their colleagues, you know, it doesn't really matter. So yeah, we seemed like a random starting point for where, where we, where we are today, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's quite a simple story, really. It's good to hear that one of those accelerators or like incubators are actually giving real proper advice about where the business should go and not just sort of, <laughs> yeah, fund you and give you you're a call office. You're, you're pretty jaded, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, so for anyone listening, you touched a bit on what Plix is all about there. What's your sort of one minute, what is Plix and why it exists for anyone, obviously from a construction background thinking like, what are you actually doing on sites today? So we are connected construction specialists. So we focus on connecting job sites. So whether that be people, plan or places, and we're connecting them so that we can improve safety, productivity, and sustainability. So we, we, we essentially connect loads of, we produce a load of new connections and we monitor how they interact with one another and we identify risk. And that risk can lead to better design, better planning, um, changes in site layout, and, and really ultimately con continuously improving site performance. And, you know, we, we experience degrees of different degrees of success with different projects, but ultimately, um, you know, there, there is improvements to be made in all those areas or significant improvements to be made in all those areas, um, on, on nearly any project that we work on. Um, we're making a real conscious, conscious effort not to talk over each other at the moment. So I can see Jason, do you want to chuck in with some questions? Yeah, so well, I'm I'm mainly sitting here revisiting my uh, my previous CV and and how boring it is compared to uh, Tommy's. But Tommy, I guess when I think about construction and you know it's renowned, uh, it's probably even maligned as being like stuck in the mud, hard to change. People always talk about like the stats around uh, how undigitized and how like people still do stuff the same they did it 15, 20 years ago, and uh, when I think about like in, in our space in like planning and, and the software that we make, we have this challenge of changing behavior, but we're literally just getting someone to like click another button that they, you know, like it's arbitrarily, it's like changing what they click on a screen. Mm. But what you do requires changing people's actual behaviors on site. And so I imagine that the the challenge and the thought and the like intelligent design about how you change behavior yeah, it must be hard. Uh, and do you know, are there any tactics? Are there any tricks or anything that you do? How do you, how do you go about thinking about that when you're working on a new, a new project? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, anyone in a business, in a hardware business probably have heard the phrase hardware is hard uh, about a billion times. It does get a bit boring after a while. I think to a degree when you're thinking about, I've never really thought about it in the way that you've explained it, but there's two, I suppose there's two ways of thinking about it. One, there's a physical thing that's hard because you have to potentially change the way people are thinking about what you're providing. You know, is it tracking me? It isn't, but you know, that's a common misconception uh, and that kind of thing. But then the other point is that actually we have a physical tangible thing. So 
that's got to be a reminder, whereas a button could be it could be lost on screen and you could just forget about it. So there, I suppose there is two sides to that coin. If I'm talking about the first side of the coin to start with, we have a lot of problems with social adoption. And those problems with the social adoption are driven by poor communication, poor management. And I suppose from a communication standpoint, a lesser understanding of what it is that we're actually trying to do. And we see huge changes or huge differences between good and bad sides. And typically that comes from a part of at the top, top level or, uh, you know, you works manager or health and safety management on site. Um, and the good yep. ones really do it well. We actually see that the experience from the workforce, they're positively promoting our product back to management once they've experienced it and that initial uh, reluctance to use new technology which i think you get regardless of what technology is is set to one side whereas when it's uh, when we get to a site where it's poor where the work the management and the uh, not so much enforcement but the communication of what it is that we're trying to do is poor the uptake is really bad and it's very difficult to then turn that around so we're still in a position where we have to do a lot. Like we have to really help our customers communicate what it is that we're doing because they don't necessarily always understand it. But I'm hoping that over time, the understanding of what our objectives are in terms of improving safety for the guys on the ground and improving performance, which doesn't necessarily mean less jobs. It means better working experience um, will actually help drive adoption going forward so i think it's a t i don't have any secret weapon uh, other than helping to really communicate helping trying to get the right management the right sponsors the right cheerleaders on on site that are gonna uh, help drive adoption and you know it's been really tough but it's getting easier so i think we, we are seeing industry change it's good to hear you've got no uh, tricks or secrets because then I would be uh, second guessing what, what we'd been doing. But like the the amount of times we've pulled apart, rebuild how we deploy, how we onboard, how we train uh, when when we deploy our software on projects. And the sweet spot that we found is like this balance between this kind of push and pull thing, this top down, bottom up thing. And yeah. having that, uh, trying to like have both of them in sync where there's a management uh, directive decision because there's a benefit for them, but not like really spending most of our time talking about the benefit and showing the benefit for the person that is the end user. Yeah. Is that a similar thing to what you see? Yeah. Every, everyone's got to, it's got to be something in it for everyone. Right? Like, and I think that that yeah. uh, the problem is when I'm talking about communication is that that bit isn't clear. And so someone's looking at uh, new technology, not just us, other technologies that we show on site and they're saying, well, that's fine, but I'm not going to use it because I don't know what it is. I don't really know what it's, what it's, what's in it for me. So I just won't. It's in the, I've uh, me and Carlos have talked about it before, but it's in the too difficult box. It's in the, oh, I don't understand what that is box. Like we're not, I'm not even going to get into it. I don't even want to understand. Someone hasn't explained yeah, it to yeah. me clear enough. So I don't care. I'm not even going to, you know, and, and that may be a cultural thing that we need to figure out how we negotiate, you know, how do we, how do we get people interested in what, in doing better? Because if they don't do that, then, um, yeah, know, how's the industry gonna, gonna improve? Well, I was talking to Carlos before we came on air, I guess, um, about, uh, I guess something that was quite similar that's in the news occasionally here in Australia, 
where um, there's a technology that's being used and deployed in the mining industry for uh, big heavy haul truck drivers, where it's like an eye tracking technology that is monitoring the drivers. And like the primary use cases around safety for the drivers, you know, alerting them when they're tired or when they're, you know, alerting when they're not alert. But the flip side of it is this uh, idea or thought or perception that it's about, you know, Big Brother, about tracking, about measuring people's performance. And that has been a big hurdle that that industry is really like, I guess, struggling to over overcome. It maybe is like kind of similar to what you were talking about, I guess, in, culturally. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. I think I think one of the biggest things that still shocked me today when I'm talking to teams, construction workers, is you know who who really has got the time to go through and monitor individuals. You know, like say one person watching one one other person what they're doing. I think that that is the the attitude of someone thinking that they want to watch someone else is the bit that's wrong. Like no one's got time for that. Like we should be producing yeah. team performance data for sure. Like we should know how good we are at how how much output we can actually achieve. Because otherwise, we're never going to get it right in the future when we're projecting. You know how much work we're going to be able to achieve with a gang of how many people over winter months, over summer months. You know, that, that's all really useful information, but it should never be driven down to the individual. And I mean, we've, we've built mechanisms into our software, which, which prevents, uh, management from being able to, to really identify people for that reason, because we need to make it as tricky as possible to, to prevent punishment. You know, there's no point in doing that. It is good to be able to identify safety risk. You know, if there's a, a potential incident and take lessons learned from that. Um, but that's slightly different. Again, you don't need to really know the individual. You just need to know the circumstances which lead up to the incident or lead up to a potential incident. So yeah, it's just, I think it's, I think what we're getting to is it's a way of thinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right to, to maybe change subject uh, a little bit, um, and going back onto your background in, I guess, design and product design and maybe furniture design. We spend a ton of time in the world of, uh, user experience design here. And when we're thinking about a problem in software, like there's almost no limitations to what we theoretically like could do. And we can start like solving uh, a user goal, a user story. Obviously in like the hardware world, the con you've got a lot of like actual physical constraints that puts a bigger burden on, on you as a designer to properly understand those physical constraints. Like it, I imagine it's much closer to like what I totally projecting on my own personal experience here, but like it's pro I'm imagining it's much closer to what it was like for me as an engineer on a construction site, trying to be creative within like physical constraints that it would be for me as like a head of product at a software company where we've got almost limitless options about how we solve a, a, a user story, uh, for the audience of me, does that, is that true? I suppose you've, you've, you've always got the same constraints, uh, you know, uh, if you're talking about like anthropometrics, if you're talking about, uh, the way in which people interact with products, if you talk about, you know, so like, for example, just talking about the wearable, we, we've got a variety of different senses, but if you're just talking about the wearable, it's probably the, the most difficult because we had to attach it to something that was standard. So we chose the construction helmet. Uh, for a number of reasons, one, it's 
it's out of the way of the of the body, the torso, which is a huge volume of water, which um, really decreases the performance from a, a localization and a proximity perspective. And the higher higher we could get it, the more out of the way of the torso, the better. But then you put it on someone's head, so you've got to consider. Oh yeah, it's going to be, if it's heavy, there's going to be some strain on the on the neck, or, or you know, it's going to feel heavy. Yeah, and then you're talking about okay, well, if it's got to be smaller and lighter, well, how long will the battery last? How are we going to recharge it? Uh, you know, what sort is a reasonable form form factor in terms of size so that it can be easily held when it's removed? These are all things that. They're not specific to construction. There are some specific construction related issues or challenges, should I say, but the vast majority of design, you can utilize existing experiences, understandings of how things are built. And then you just have to iterate until and test, iterate, test, just like you would with software, iterate, test until you, you arrive at a, fa- a form factor that works. And you know, what we've got today isn't perfect. I mean, there's still things we change now, but you know, you have to go through that cycle of understanding and learning and really engaging with the, your users to improve it going forward. So I think, I think the answer is very similar to software, the process of, of, of the creative process of starting off with a, an object and then working through the constraints with the human form factor is it's, you know, it's easy, it's widely understood, but, and then getting it into the environment and testing it and finding out what doesn't work with bits of plastic fall off. Um, how big can you make it a little bit bigger so the battery's a bit longer, you know, lasts a little bit longer? Yeah, it's not. It's, it's you don't have to start from scratch every time you, you you come up with a new concept. Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's interesting. I was I was curious as to how iterative the process was because of there's obviously that cost iteration. There's the time frame to to you know make prototypes, test prototypes, and stuff. So it sounds like it is very, very, very iterative. Just to give you a flavour of what of what the development lifecycle looks like about. For realistically about two years for a mechanical product. So like, uh, you'd be looking at two years of the actual mechanical design, and then we'd be doing the embedded development alongside that. So, you know, it takes us two years with two teams working in parallel to be able to build the product and then constantly iterating because the electronics, what needs a tweak here, and then the mechanical needs a tweak here, and then it goes backwards and forwards. And then we probably did a year of large scale testing until we arrived at a design on off the back of that so three years but you know sort of five years of effort if you if you're talking about teams um, working on on something yeah i take i take my hat off to you well my backwards cap i take that off to you like the um yeah the thought and the precision required and then you know you find you know you have to not only think of all the things that you covered but i presume you have to also think about ways that people want to gain the system, tamper with the device, all sorts of things like that, that, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of other considerations yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, and then, you know, the classic, oh, can it just do this? And, um, you know, you find that what they're asking logically seems quite uh, obvious, uh, you know, maybe a new set, a new sector or where there's a, a special requirement or it's just a software feature, but it's like, yeah. It could do, but you have to draw a line somewhere. You have to, you have to like consider your changes really methodically. And those are some of the limits. I think the limitations of everything, right? But like, especially in hardware, because you're releasing something and it does essentially go out of date after a period of time, um, you do have to consider and you have to release in big blocks rather than, you know, small iterative changes, which you can do with software. 
Yeah, that's super impressive. The I guess the other question I had, I was talking to Carlos about this earlier. Uh, I'm always interested in origin stories of uh, company names. What's what's the background of Plinks? I think I said it in the opening gambit, but it's, um, we protect people from uh, people, plant, and places, and we're a connectivity-focused company. So the, our business name is actually Wearable Link Limited, but we trade as Plinks. Um, and when we changed our name in 2019, I think it was, or when we started trading as Plinks, we needed something that summarized the fact that we connect we connect people plant and places so plinks oh that actually has a meaning that makes me feel better <laughs> yeah and it also had to be it had to be unique yeah yeah that makes that actually makes total sense now that you mention it cool carlos back to you mate uh yeah just one question actually your like core value pillar when you get onto a project like is safety you've then got information that can help um, sort of think about production rates and efficiencies and uh, with delivering projects into what sort of rate. What's what's on the roadmap? What's what's past that point? So if you're deployed on every project in the UK, they're using you for safety, they're doing production rates. What would be the next thing uh, for you guys to focus on? Yeah, so our, our, our core pillars are safety, uh, which is is the main benefit for the operatives or the operators um, on site. We then offer efficiency improvements and that's through understanding what's going on on site, which I think is where we've identified some opportunity for us to work together in understanding, you know, what went wrong, how can we do it better next time? And then also sustainability. So things like um, identifying, so we, we have a critical machine sense, which uh, understands how machines are being used. So if they're being, if they're idling, if they're being used inefficiently, uh, so uh, what their CO2 output is. Um, so we can do stuff around sustainability as well. And I think sustainability of projects in general is, is, uh, something that we are, we will be able to provide greater compliance led information on, um, as there's a greater focus on, um, the environmental impact of the work that we're doing. We're now focusing on building a lot of software features on off the back of the hardware, because as we've spoken about already, the hardware cycle is real slow. Sorry, it's not real slow, but it's much slower than software if you compare the two. So we're able to build a lot of new software functionality off the back of the hardware capability. So we're, we're really focusing on a lot of integration, offering a lot, a lot of value add from integration between two, two companies. And I, and I think that's potentially where our customers will be able to benefit from um, us building, you know, connecting two systems together, one plus one equals four or five or six or whatever it is. And the other value they can get from a product perspective, we're really also focused on understanding how the movement of materials, the movement of tools and equipment, especially high value assets. So we have the capability to do that in the next couple of weeks, we'll be launching our private 5G connectivity, which moves the connectivity capability that we provide away from our proprietary solution, which is, you know, connecting our sensors to connecting smartphones to connecting drones to connecting um autonomous machines um survey equipment uh, what, whatever is needed remote remote teams essentially and that's where our business i, th I think will change in a complete system integration so um, you know we do sensors we do connectivity already we have a platform but i believe that uh, us tying together those systems with other companies like apex like Sensat, like 
really repo, like, you know, all of those kind of companies, um, into a solution that is, um, turnkey essentially for, for our customers. So that's what's the, the roadmap is improving what we've already got in terms of hardware, providing greater connectivity capacity, and then software functionality off the back of the hardware that's already out in the field, including things like material tracking and tool tracking. Yeah, Tommy, I think you've, uh, I've hit, think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like there's a, there's, uh, so many different systems that do parts of the, like what you're offering, you know, you might have a, you might have a, a vision sensor on a machine that does part of the safety around human machine interaction, but that's yeah. not that that is only, you know, you, you go and deploy that, but you've only got a small fraction of what you can get. Once you're collecting the data from the machine, the plants and, and the places, like you were saying. It unlocks all sorts of stuff that you can do with that data without having to try and uh, connect this system that's doing a machine thing over here. And there's a thing for people in their phone over there or whatever. I think it's, um, I think definitely you know, that is the right track. And I see massive value in that, that direction. Mate. I also don't think that we need to be the company that does everything. Like we, I've, I've just, I'm sort of maybe contradicting the big statement that I made apart from system integration. But what I actually mean by that is that I think, I don't think we need to do everything. Like there are other companies that we're working with at the moment that are doing really, really clever stuff on, uh, movement analysis. So for example, using a sensor that using our sensor data, but doing the analysis layer on top of that, they take our data, they analyze it, they give it back to us or they give it to the customer. So for example, they, they're able to use the accelerometer to, to tell what exactly what task that person is doing at the time it should still should be desensitized we still should be looking at uh whole team performance but the biggest problem that we see is that our customers don't know what is going on inside any one point in time and to give them that knowledge will allow them to change the way they're working which should in theory uh improve the, the way that the sites perform um and that's better for everyone you know, it even, even if we're talking about, if we're just talking about construct, improving construction output, um, rather than reducing the amount of people that are needed for a, a specific task, uh, improving speed of output, improving, you know, likelihood of hitting a project on time. They're all, they all come from understanding and knowing what's going on and a lot of plans get made, but I'd be interested to know how many projects go and do a retro on how well they actually did after after the fact so yeah de definitely there's this um so many construction technology providers do this thing where they get drawn into trying to be the everything they you know a customer asks for this feature customer asks for that feature and the, the product grows and grows and grows till they don't even know what they do anymore um and i think you're totally right there's like a whole bunch of things that would sit on top of your platform i would see which would combine your data and other data and analysis and smarts and stuff that that you that other people would definitely do. But I definitely see that there's being this one reliable source of that people place equipment thing that feeds that is uh, miles better than trying to cobble together. Well, we've got five different machine manufacturers scooting around the site with data going into 10 different API places and yep. some of them don't have it. And then we can't track half the people because they didn't download the app on their phone, whatever it is. I think that is a, I think that is really a, a valuable, um, thing to keep uh, pushing for. I'm going to have to, uh, cut you both off there. Uh, we have massively overshot our time. Joe looks pretty stressed right now. Uh, Tommy, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, that was really interesting, but, um, yeah, going to have to 
cut it off there. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening.